So Matthew 24, starting at verse 36, and Jesus is speaking. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, It's 1985, and the place is Powell School in Sirencester in the Cotswolds, and I'm a 10-year-old schoolboy. I'm 37, to stop you doing the maths um, as I talk over the next two minutes. Um, 1985 doesn't feel that long ago to me. Um, It actually isn't that long ago, and I think probably uh, the Cotswolds was stuck in the 1950s during the 1980s. But when I was at primary school in the 1980s, we we sat um, in front of those old wooden desks, Uh, that people over the age of 45 or something might remember. Um, You have a single desk uh, like this with a lid that you lift up. Um, And in the desk here, you put your exercise books and your conkers and your sweets and your booty and all that kind of thing. Uh, The lid comes down, you do your work, and at the front there's a a little indent to put your pens and so on, and then a round hole in the corner um, for your ink for dipping and that kind of thing. Anyway, picture the scene. Uh, 25 10-year-olds at our desks in the Cotswolds, 1985. Our teacher was the legendary six-foot-six Mr. Newton. Uh, Big glasses, significantly brown suit, big hair, enormous moustache. Mr. Newton, uh, you might have looked at him and thought he was a comedy figure, but actually um, he was a teacher that we looked up to. Um, you You didn't take him on. Um, there was a slight sort of, not fear of him, but respect. Um, And yet he was a really good teacher. Um, You know that in a school when um, there are some teachers who actually haven't got much time for people in the class and would rather not be there. And you know that as a pupil. Um, And there are other teachers who you know they are for you and they care for you and they teach you for your good. Uh, Mr. Newton was like that. If you got called up to the front with your exercise book to show him your work and he gave you a gold star... Um, you were kind of genuinely pleased 
um, that he smiles at me and says, well done. Anyway, it's a practical maths lesson, uh, this moment in 1985, and we're doing weights and measures. Uh, no computers back then. We've got, uh, we've got some scales and some weights um, and some dried peas and all sorts, and we're doing our work and recording stuff in our books. Um, there's a knock at the door, and uh, Mr. Newton is called away to the admin office uh, to do something. Anyway, he, he stands up front, tells us to get on with our work quietly, and off he goes. Well, a few minutes go by, about 90 seconds or so, as we faithfully weigh our peas and record our results. And then there's a kind of pause in the classroom, as there is, and people look around a bit. There's no Mr. Newton yet. A little bit of chatting, a bit of giggling. And then with a, with a couple of minutes, the first P is flicked. <laughs> you know where this is going. Um, within about three minutes, no teacher, 25 kids, dried peas, desks that work well as shield defences. <laughs> and a full-scale riot breaks out um, in top-form infants. Um, dried peas everywhere, desks in formation, in defence, the works stuff all over the place. Um, I wasn't your naughtiest schoolboy by a long way. That's what you should probably expect. Um, and I certainly did not start it, I claim, to this day. But um, after a few minutes, five or ten or so, my iron discipline working for my teacher sort of evaporates, and I'm compelled to get involved. Uh, no Mr. Newton, ten minutes away he's been now, we'll be fine. Um, I bend down, gather my handful of peas, select my target just over the desk, pull back, aim, Everyone in front of me freezes. I turn round, slowly, peas in hand. There in front of me, in the doorway, six foot six of Mr. Newton, looking about nine foot, eyes drilling into me. I quite enjoy telling you that about that, actually. Um, partly because half of it is, I look back and think that's fun, that's kind of childhood japes in the classroom, it's brilliant. Um, but at the same time, as I tell it to you, that what happens at the end there is actually very, very vivid and powerful to me. And as I tell you about it and smile, I can actually remember what it did to me inside me. Um, being caught in the act like that, I don't know if it's ever happened to you at class or at home or something, when you're doing something that you know is going to be displeasing, it actually makes your heart stop. Part of it's the shock. You, you didn't expect it. You thought you were fine. You were having the time of your life. Bang. Um, but then it's a sh kind of shocking instant as you're doing something you know you shouldn't. You're exposed. Um, and instantly, with Mr. Newton there, I'm, I'm shamed. Bottom falls out of my world. Um, and I see him, his eyes looking at me. Um, and the, and the, the kind of right disapproval of someone I kind of half respected and want to please, actually it hurts like hell. Um, we're at the end of Matthew 24. <coughs> and uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and verse 44 sums up what he wants to press on them and on us. Verse 44, the middle of our reading says, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What is Jesus talking about? Um, firstly, briefly, the Son of Man is coming. Um, that is, according to Jesus, there is a future day when he, the risen and ruling Son of Man, will return as judge of all. Uh, 
that day will come when he sits on his throne and we will each of us stand exposed before him and our lives and deeds judged by him. Um, A certain day in the future that's inescapable and we will experience it, he says. However, here's the thing. No one knows when it will come. Um, Did you see that? In verses 36 to 39 as we read them. Um, Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The imagery is meant to kind of um, dig us in the ribs. I guess lots of us will remember the, the reports and the eyewitness accounts from uh, the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami um, in Southeast Asia. I mean, in and of itself, a, a, a horrific event, uh, this 20-meter, this 30-meter wall of water sweeping in and consuming everything in its path. Um, part of the deep horror of it, though, as you, as you listen to what happened on that day, is, the, is just the sheer shock of it how it caught people unawares. Um, Holidaymakers sitting on the beach, um, laughing, chatting, um, and eating. Um, UK lovers going out to to Thailand to get married, to have their day of paradise on the beach, already been planning it for weeks, completely unawares, and in the wave comes. Jesus is saying, so will be the day of the coming of the Son of Man. If we take him at his word then, it could be that at any moment in the days and years to come, this day could break upon us. And the heavens will open and the Lord Jesus will appear as judge. So, Jesus insists, verse 44, you also must be ready. Of course he's right. Um, So now today then, Uh, to help us to get to grips together um, with being ready in the light of his coming. Jesus tells us a story, verses 45 to 51. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Um, It's a simple and almost too simple, obvious little story of Jesus's. Um, And yet, as we look through it together over these next 20 minutes or so, we find Jesus laying out for us the fundamental, the absolute fundamentals of our existence. Um, Who are we in relation to our God? Um, What are our lives to be about right now? What can we expect on the day when he comes? Um, As we go through it, uh, Jesus' aim is to persuade us and push us and convince us to be ready for that coming day. Um, Let me read verses 45 to 51 and uh, make a few comments. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he doesn't know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Firstly then, this morning, who am I in relation to God? 
Answer, uh, point one on the screen. I am a servant belonging to my master. Verse 45 starts off. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Um, For these stories, Jesus picks his setting really carefully. Here is a servant and a master. Um, What Jesus is picturing is a first century large household. Um, Not quite Chatsworth, if you watch the documentary, but, but still a kind of large household in that vein. Within it, a servant who owns nothing and is absolutely dependent on and committed to his master. And the master who owns everything and has a total claim over and deep care for his servant. And here in the story, the master goes away and says to the servant, run my household for me. Um, The master's gone, none of it belongs to the servant, but he's in charge while the master's away to do what he wants with the master's belongings for the master. It's the context of this story. Just to pause and reflect together, it's such a, it's a fashionable and and actually a deeply attractive uh, lie, really, to look at life and to believe um, or to live as though there is no God. Um, I'm a self-made man or woman. I'm an island. I depend on no one and everything I have is mine, which I've earned. What it allows you to do is it allows you to be the center of the world. It allows you actually to hold on really tightly to life um, and begrudge anyone who tries to steal your time and money. The Bible says to us, this uh, verse says to us, that's so not true. Instead, wonderfully, creatures of almighty God fashioned in his likeness. Uh, Every molecule of creation, every molecule of our own belongs to him. And it It's a thing of astounding grace, the Bible would say to us, that he places us in his world and freely gives us um, flesh and bones and breath and family and food and work and every blessing we enjoy. And he gives it to us freely to use in his service. More than that, on top of that, um, this astonishing God steps into our world in the person of his son. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ lays down his life as a gift of grace for us. And then says, come to me. Make me your master. I'll give you rest. Um, Those few words in verse 45 then describe the life that we're made for. Uh, To find my joy in serving a generous God who claims me for himself taking everything I have, everything I have which is a gift from him and putting it at his service with thanks. It's actually a glorious way the world is set up. Uh, Christian believers um, who hold on to that actually know that deep down uh, to, to live like that, to relate to your God like that is not a, a sort of restrictive, enslaving burden. Um, to live as a servant with everything I have given for him makes me unselfish. Um, I realize my possessions don't belong to me. I can lend them freely. makes me hospitable. Uh, My house and my mealtimes, they're not my own. makes me generous. My bank account, not mine to hold on to. 
It makes me grateful uh, for every moment that's given to me. It makes me a pleasure to be around as a person. It actually makes me like the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm the great servant of others, a beautiful life given over for others. First point, who am I? Um, a servant belonging to my master. I just want to ask simply, do you see yourself like that today? Um, do you know what it is to live in his household and that everything comes from him and the joy that brings? Come then to point two, living in his absence. Four, and this is what happens in the story. The master goes away and entrusts the household to his servant. And the question is on the table, how will the servant then live? What will he do? It's a question Jesus is placing to us. As I move through the ups and downs of 2012, whether I believe in him or not, with Jesus invisible to me in heaven as king, seemingly distant and absent, what will I do? Obviously, in our verses, the story goes in two directions. Down one path, the servant acts faithfully. Down the second path, wickedly. Um, So, verses 45 and 46 lay out path one for us. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Not told much about him, but uh, there is something singularly, almost unspectacular about this servant. He's not, he's not scrabbling around and speculating about when his master will return. Um, he's simply and faithfully getting on with what the master's asked him to do. Um, faithfully, obediently, giving his life to please his God. Um, a couple of months ago, I, I uh, popped round to see a lady who lives not so far away, who's in her 80s. Um, it's about 8.30 in the morning. It was a cold, uh, grey morning um, in early spring. As I approached her front door um, and rang her bell, I happened to look in through the bay window in her small front room. And uh, very simply, just open on the stool in front of her armchair was a well-thumbed prayer book, um, open at a psalm. It took this lady a moment to get to the front door, uh, but she opened it and uh, she said hello. I said hello back and she smiled this most wonderful smile and said, just come and have a cup of tea. I've just been saying my prayers. As I walked back home a touch later, it, it just struck me actually what a, what a beautiful thing it was I'd just seen. Um, I don't know, I guess she might have been following Jesus now for 60 or 70 years. She never set eyes on him. Um, she's been waiting for him to come for a long, long time. And yet still, just another spring morning, um, sitting in her chair with no one to see her, not expecting a knock at the door from me, no one to see her except her Lord, praying to him, thanking him for blessings of that morning, committing her day into his service, as she'd done every day for 60 years. Just think of that and think that's so unspectacular in a sense and yet actually it's just glorious to see 
particularly because there is a second tempting path to follow in these verses. It's there in verse 48. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. It's hard to get inside the head of this servant, but um, a couple of things. It's not that this guy doubts his master exists. It's not that he doubts his master will eventually return. He may well be convinced of that. Uh, what he thinks is his master is just, just so distant and absent that just for a bit he can get on with doing his own thing. Does he know that his, his God has given him everything? He knows he belongs to him. And yet his heart isn't captured. His heart isn't captured by the love his master has for him. Um, here then, someone who, who's been living to please God for quite a bit now. It's been hard work. Um, he knows he should. And yet month follows month, and now uh, there just seeps into him a kind of tiredness. Uh, the little sight of the end being in sight. Um, and with Jesus absent um, in his mind and seemingly distant from him, maybe he starts grumbling a bit about Christian things and about life. Maybe he starts to get cynical. Um, finds himself thinking, actually, maybe he wouldn't put it like this, but this isn't a great deal. Um, I need to take back some of what I'm giving. I guess he wouldn't notice it at first, but he slowly just starts uh, serving his own ends a touch more, using his possessions for himself, maybe taking greater wedges of time um, for me. Um, a servant to his master in the household has known grace from him, of course, and yet the pull and the tug to serve himself. I don't know whether that, but just put it like that, that starts to speak to some of us. Um, Jesus, uh, the striking thing is, Jesus lays out for us here two clear ways to live in his absence. And yet I think the reality is it's possible to walk down the path of loving Jesus and being faithful to him, and yet so easily slide into the territory of the wicked servant. At heart, I think, a passion for pleasing Jesus Christ that starts to cool and go blurry. It's hard to tie down. It might show itself in all sorts of ways, but I found myself this week just uh, looking again at the passage and seeing the two examples that are given for the wicked servant. Very, very specific. I don't know whether they might catch some of us. Is it sometimes such hard work trying to serve Jesus during the day? Um, that in order to deal with it, you need a good few glasses of wine in the evening uh, to have some you time and recover your balance. Um, in my heart, I'm thinking, I just want to let go for a bit. It doesn't matter. He won't come tonight. I'll, I'll, I'll start again tomorrow. Second example here. Um, are you tempted to beat your fellow servants? May not be physically. Um, is there someone in your family, a spouse or a child or 
or someone in the church family who you're close to and actually you just can't find the grace to serve them. Um, they, they make normal demands of you, um, but verbally or secretly in your heart, you berate them. Get off my case, I don't want to help you. What's going on when I'm... What I'm doing when I'm like that is I'm, I'm losing sight of the deep grace of my master towards me. Um, actually, in the moment, I just don't want to please him. I guess the key question is when that happens, and it will do for all of us at all sorts of points, um, do I see how horrible that is? Am I cut to the heart? Do I think I've got to run again to the cross? I've got to put my trust in Jesus. I need mercy. Or actually, is that the real me starting to reveal myself? A cold and hardening heart. Point one this morning, I belong to my master. Do I get a sense of that? He is good to live for him, this one who sent his son to die for me the best. Two, living in his absence. Will it be that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ captures me more and more and that persistently and consistently I give myself to him? Or will I find myself sliding off into bitterness and hardening my heart? Um, As we finish, finally, here's why it matters desperately, desperately where I stand today. Um, Third, see the servant experiencing his coming. See, what Jesus wants to press on us here is this question. If he came this afternoon, will he find us ready? Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he'll set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that house will come on a day when he doesn't expect him and at an hour he doesn't know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, The six foot six Mr. Newton was a good, good teacher. He really was. And it is hard looking back on it because deep down, in part, we desperately wanted to please him. And yet part of the shame is that as I I stood there with the peas in my hand um, and saw him standing stock still in the doorway, um, it was so clear in that moment that his trust in us had been betrayed and my respect for him had been shown up actually as paper thin. And when that moment comes and Mr. Newton's standing there, I wanted the ground to open up and swallow me. It's terrible to be exposed and shamed like that. Um, the Lord Jesus really does want us to imagine the horror of this. That the day comes when, for example... I'm sitting around, as usual, full of self-pity and bitterness. My God has left me alone. Or I'm, I'm installed at home, surrounded by all the things I've been blessed with and hoarded them for myself. Or I'm just in the middle of berating my wife again 
over some minor family hiccup. And suddenly there in the doorway is the Lord Jesus Christ. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he doesn't know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you even just start to feel that? A cold heart towards Christ and little passion for him. Didn't expect him, thought I was fine, bang, exposed, shamed. And the disapproval in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ hurts like hell. Jesus wants me to feel that moment and at the same time get a sense now of the different situation. It's a regular weekday. I'm no saint. Um, I struggle with my drinking. Um, I struggle with my anger. I keep screwing up. But day by day, I know the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus towards me. And today, I pray and I plead with him, Lord, your grace for me is wonderful. Would you make me more generous with the stuff I've given? Would you change my heart and help me to love people? I want to be faithful to you. And I go out into my day with the energy he's given me, and I strive to live with him, and I screw up, and I come back and confess my sins and find grace in him. And just as I'm doing that, suddenly there is the Lord Jesus Christ come again in all his glory. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. I didn't expect him. I was just living by simple faith in God. And as his eyes meet mine, he breaks into a smile and he says to me, Well done, good and faithful servant. And with tears of joy, you finally gaze on the face of the one who loves you and you've longed for. C.S. Lewis wrote this. In the end, that face which is the delight or the terror of the universe must be turned upon each of us, either with one expression or with the other, either conferring glory inexpressible or inflicting shame which can never be cured or disguised. Which will it be for us? Therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming as now you don't expect. I think what Jesus would say to us today is, today if you hear his voice, come to your Saviour, throw yourself on his grace, know that you're bathed in it, and today love him. And live for him. And be ready for his coming. Let me lead us in a prayer. Almighty God, we praise and thank you for um, true words from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise you that one day the Lord Jesus will come in glory and right all wrongs. Our Lord and our God, please make us increasingly aware that we do not know when that day will come. And we long to be ready. Would you help us this morning uh, to so uh, grasp your grace towards us, uh, to have hearts so captured by you um, that we offer our every waking moment in service of you. 
Um, forgive us our sins when we fall. Help us to uh, cling closely to the cross. Um, save us from hearts that harden and cool. And enable us to be ready on the day that you come. We long to see your face and to hear the words that say, well done, good and faithful servant. Have mercy on us, we pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen.